How many of you guys know what cell phones used to look like? Anybody? Bricks. Yeah, giant bricks, like, like as big as an iPad, basically, with like a giant antenna sticking out of it. I was reading this story about this guy, this pastor, from the, uh, when he was around in the 80s, he ended up talking to a cell phone salesman. And the guy comes up to him and he's like, sir, can I interest you in a cell phone? It was this giant, huge cell phone that looked like a walkie-talkie from like the 80s with the antenna and everything. And the pastor's kind of like, I don't know if I want that. And the, the cell phone salesman was like, listen, man, this product is gonna change the world. And in fact, it is our unstoppable mission to get one of these cell phones into the hands of every single American. And I mean, did he succeed? Yeah, absolutely, because how many of you guys have a cell phone? Yeah, I mean, it's not the giant walkie-talkie one, but the point was the goal, the mission of getting a cell phone to everybody, it really was an unstoppable mission. And that's why I'm calling today's message Unstoppable Mission, because what I really want you guys to realize is that you've been called to be a part of something greater than yourselves. Every single one of you guys has been called to be a part of the great, unstoppable mission to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And Tyler, I am gonna need you to run those slides because the Wi-Fi is satanic today. So yeah, straight up satanic. Thanks, dude. But you can stay on that first slide for now, okay? All right, Acts chapter five, we're gonna jump in at chapter, or in verse 12, okay? So if you guys were here on a Wednesday night recently, we did the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It was this crazy story. Um, two people end up getting killed, and it was really weird, and there's like this whole murder mystery about it. So if you're interested in that, you can check out the podcast. But right now, we're picking it up in verse uh, 12 of chapter 5. So this is about um, the early church, the disciples, and what was going on. So let's look at verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles... Many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Here's a fun fact. The youth room of this youth group back in the day when I was in this youth group actually used to be called, we're in the terrace room now. Back in the day, we were in a place called Solomon's porch. It was uh, down the street. You used to walk up the path. It was on the right-hand side. It was this whole other building. Um, and I think it's really funny when churches name rooms after like things in the Bible, like, oh, we're going to name this room Solomon's Porch, or there was this one ministry I remember like called By the Terebinth Tree. Uh, that's just, it's just Christianese. I don't know if you guys know what Christianese is, but I just think it's really funny when Christians name ministries and rooms after things in the Bible. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them but the people esteemed them highly, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. My first point today is fear God, not man. Here's the situation that's going on right now. This is a story about two groups of people. You've got the disciples and then the non-disciples. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then you've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the average people. This is a story of people living in two different dimensions. How many of you guys have seen Stranger Things? So in that story, you've got people living in the real world and then people living in the upside down, this other dimension. In this story, we've got the disciples who are living in the world of boldness, and then you've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the common people who are living in this upside down dimension of fear. 
And this is a time of the church of like great power. They are doing miracles, they're healing people, they're like preaching the gospel. Peter and John keep getting thrown in jail and then they're just like, yeah, we're just gonna keep preaching the gospel. It's a time of great power, but it's also a time of great fear. And right now we see the disciples, they're not hiding. Like they just got out of prison and yet they are preaching in Solomon's porch, which was basically a temple courtyard. It was like, you've got the temple and then there's this little porch. They're right outside the temple in Solomon's porch preaching the gospel. You have to remember that Christianity at this time was basically a cult to the Jews. They looked at it like it was this crazy, like think about it, you've been in Judaism your entire life, practicing the religious laws, following the Torah, and then these Christians show up and they're like, yeah, Jesus was the one who fulfilled the Torah and he's actually the son of God and he is God. Like to the normal Jew, it sounded insane. And so for these Christians to be preaching right out there by the Jewish temple, it would be like today, Christians in a Muslim country meeting outside of the mosque doors. That's how bold these guys were. And it says there that none of the rest dared join them. There was this spirit of fear where a lot of people didn't want anything to do with the Christians. And I think it could have had something to do with Ananias and Sapphira. Um, chapter five, we just did this a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday, but there was these two people in the church who like came and they lied to the church and they ended up getting struck dead, not by like Peter, like Peter didn't like pull out a pistol and shoot them for lying. Um, God allowed Satan to strike them down. And, and so there was like this crazy spirit of fear among the church and, and among people outside it. Because think about it, if, if you heard that there was a church and then like two people like just got struck dead randomly, like I wouldn't be excited to join that church. And so right now you've got people pulled between two fears. You've got people who are afraid of man and then people who fear God. There's people who have a fear of man and people who have a fear of God. There's this great quote by Oswald Chambers. Throw that up there, Tyler. Oswald Chambers. Mr. Cham I know, dude, he's a, he's a fox, right? Um, <clears throat> Mr. Chambers says this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. I think that's so good. If we have a fear of God, then we will have so much confidence in God. Here's what a fear of God means, okay? A fear of God, it doesn't mean you're just like terrified that God is going to strike you down. You're walking down the street and you're afraid that God is going to strike you with thunderbolts or you sin and you're afraid that God's going to strike you down. No, what this is, is a fear. It's talking about respect, it's about respecting God and believing that God is who he says he is. Think about it this way. Like, let's say, you know, Bradley, you're hanging out with Christian, and Christian looks to you, and he's like, hey, Bradley, I want to tell you something. And you're like, what is it, Christian? And Christian's like, hey, man, I'm the king, you know? He's like, dude, I'm the king. Now, like, Bradley, you might be like, okay, man, whatever. But you know that Christian's not actually royalty. Like, you know that he can't actually, like, execute anybody. He can't actually, like, give people, like, tons of gold or whatever. Like, he, he's not a real king. He might say he's the king at, like, basketball or volleyball. or he, You are the king of volleyball. I'll give you that. You, you absolutely are the king of volleyball. But um, here's the thing. Like, so Bradley, if you then go to a foreign country and you actually meet a real king, right, 
like a real actual king, and he's like, hey, Bradley, I'm the king, you would have a healthy respect of that king because you would understand this guy is who he says he is. Like, if he told me, Bradley, I'm going to arrest you, he could actually do that because he's the king. If Christian's like, hey, Bradley, I'm going to arrest you, Bradley's just going to be like, whatever, man, you can't do that unless you're going to arrest me with volleyballs. I don't know. But... um, So that's the thing. When it talks about a fear of God, it's not talking about being terrified. It's talking about respecting God for who he is. And one of my questions for you guys here today is do you actually believe God is who he says he is? Because going back to what Oswald Chambers said, if we believe that God is who he says he is, if we have a fear of God, then we can have confidence then we don't have to fear other things because we know that God is who he says he is and he loves us and he's with us. But if we don't have a fear of God, if we don't believe that God is who he says he is, then we're gonna have a fear of everything else. We're gonna have a fear of losing our money. When Southern California catches on fire and we have a chance of losing our homes and our stuff and our possessions, we're gonna think, man, if this happens, I'm done. I'm gone, I've lost everything. If we don't believe that God is who he says he is, then we will fear all of these other things happening in our life. And I love that if we have a fear of God, a respect of God, a belief that God is who he says he is, then we don't have to fear. My aunt right now, I have this sweet aunt from Oregon. Her name's Lisa. And Lisa is, she's dying right now. She's dying from cancer. Um, She's had it for quite a few many years and she doesn't have much time left. I was just with her recently and um, one of the things that she was really excited about was right before she went back to Oregon, we went out to Mexican food and she was like, you know, this could be my last time eating good Mexican food. And I was sitting with my aunt, and uh, this was on Thanksgiving, and I was talking to her, you know, it was kind of one of those moments where like everyone was doing something, and I kind of found her by herself sitting at the table, and I sat down, and I was like, how you doing? And she was like, you know what, Aaron? I have so much joy. I have so much hope, because I know that Jesus has got me, and I know that no matter what happens to my body, I'm gonna be okay because Jesus is in control and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna see him. And it was, I mean, it's, it's painful to watch her, to watch her in pain because she's got so many tumors in her stomach right now and they're, they're pushing her internal organs together. Sometimes you'll be talking to my aunt and she'll just like wince up in pain and then she'll go right back to smiling. Like she'll like put on this face where she's just, you can see that she's in pain and then she'll go right back into just being cheerful and full of joy and full of spirit. And watching my aunt, like watching her work through her pain, not being bitter, not being fearful, but having so much dignity and so much love and compassion. She had no fear because she knows where she's going. She, she fears the Lord. She respects the Lord for who he is. And so she has so much hope. And my, I love my aunt because she's so others focused. Even as she's been sick, she's been working in healthcare, taking care of other sick people, um, comforting other people who are dying. She's sat with many people who've died and she's been in the room when they've died and, and she's prayed for them and encouraged them and pointed them to Jesus. She's led people who are dying to Jesus. And, and I just, it's such a beautiful thing to me to see that when we have the fear of the Lord, we don't have to fear anything else. You know, in this passage, it says, it was through the hands of the apostles that many signs and wonders were done among the people. I just want to note really quick that 
when it says signs and wonders were done through the apostles, it was their hands, yes, but it was God's power that did it. Think about, I'm going to talk about Star Wars a lot just because I love Star Wars, but think about Luke, you know, in uh, episode six or, or eight, I think, when he's on Dagobah training with Yoda and Yoda is having him lift that X-wing out of the swamp. Um, when Luke does it, yeah, he's doing it, but what is really doing it? It's the force. And the force is flowing through Luke, but he can't claim it. It's the force's power that causes it. In the same way, miracles are done all the time. Good works are done all the time, but it's not us that does it. It's the power of the Lord that flows through us. And it's the fear of the Lord that gives us any power. You have to understand that. Your knowledge of God, your respect of God, your belief that God is who he says he is, is the source of all power in our life. It says that the church was growing. Why was it growing? It says right there, because they believed. Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's belief that gives us power from the Lord. Look at verse 15. So, so then they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a great multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We've got the situation now where um, there's, this, there's this reputation the church is getting. This reputation that if you come to this church, you'll be healed. If you come to this church, you'll receive a blessing. Now, um, Tyler, you can throw up the next slide because I think it raises an interesting question. I don't know about you, but I'm always asking questions when I read the Bible. I'm always like, what happened there? Why is this verse here? What's going on? I don't know if you caught that one verse, but it says that basically people were gathering around the church because they were like, if Peter would just walk by me and his shadow would hit me, I know that I would be healed. Now, What's the deal with the shadow thing? Because I've never read a verse in the Bible that says that we have shadow healing powers. Like, I've never been sick and had someone be like, let me just, like, line up so that the light hits me a certain way that my shadow hits you and your fever goes away. That's kind of strange. I think what we're seeing here is superstition. We're seeing people being superstitious. The Jews lived in a time where they didn't have, I mean, we live in a very intellectual time. We live at a time where we have, we have so much knowledge about science and philosophy and psychology. The Jews lived in this time in the ancient world where they were very superstitious about a lot of things. Um, this kind of reminds me of a story that I read. You can throw up the next slide. Um, so in September 2015, Pope Francis visited the United States and he gave a speech to Congress. And during his speech, he drank from a glass of water, you know, like how normal people do. But after the Pope's speech, one Democratic congressman stole the glass of water and he invited his wife and others to drink from it. And he also saved some of the water to bless his grandchildren. That's creepy. I hate drinking from anybody's water. Um, I don't even like drinking from my wife's water. Um, have you seen the Pope? <laughs> that guy's old. Drinking from an old person's glass because you think it'll give you supernatural healing powers, that's bizarre. It's superstitious. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with superstition. There's no verse in the Bible about shadow healing. However, here's what's interesting. And this is some, something I see that's a great grace a lot of times through the scriptures. God, it's, it's crazy because God, he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. We see often God works through human superstition, 
through flawed humanity. I'll give you an example. Many of you guys maybe know the story of the woman with the blood problem. There was this woman who had this issue. It was this crazy medical thing. This is in one of the Gospels where basically she could not stop bleeding. She was just always bleeding. And she went to doctors. She tried to get it fixed. Like no one could help her. There was no medicine that could deal with her issue. And then Jesus shows up in her town, and she, she gets this idea in her head, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. If I could just touch Jesus' robe. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you touch Jesus' robe, you can be healed. However, the woman finds Jesus in the crowd, touches his robe, and Jesus heals her. Now, that's a situation where Jesus met her superstition and blessed it because he saw her faith. It wasn't the robe that healed her. It was her faith in Jesus that made her well. I think that's that's amazing that God is not in a box. Like God does not say to us, here is the set rules for how things are done. And if you want to be healed, you got to go to this church and say this prayer and have someone anoint you with oil and it has to be done in this way. Like God loves breaking outside the box and just working with humans. And I want to say this as an encouragement God wants to bless you guys in your life. I just want you guys to know that if you have it in your head that you gotta have this cookie cutter way of like doing your relationship with the Lord and like if you, get, if you only get up at like 5 a.m. in the morning and read your Bible for your devotions and like go to church every week and, and then God will bless you if you follow the exact method. I want you to know that God blesses people all the time who aren't following you know, the, the standard way of doing things. God loves breaking outside our box and proving to us that he loves us. Now, this raises another question, which is, do miracles still happen today? You can throw up that next slide. Do miracles still happen today? I would say, yes, absolutely miracles still happen today. Now, again, this is something that we don't see all the time because we live in the West. And in the West, we live in the day and age of skepticism and intellectualism and cell phones documenting everything, right? But you know what? I know people who've started churches like out in the wilderness, out in the jungles, and they see miracles all the time. I remember Oli, a guy who was an assistant youth minister here, who told me about one time he went to India. And when he was in India, they met a woman who she had this crazy stomach issue where basically, um, if I can remember right, she just like, she like didn't really have much of a stomach. But somehow God continued to preserve her and keep her alive. She was a follower of Jesus and she barely ate. She ate like a little bit each day and God kept her alive. There was another situation here at this church where a blind man was healed. And this like freaked me out because I had never seen it before. Like I'm like you guys, like I'm skeptical of stuff and I'm not like hyper spiritual. I'm not one of those people who's like always trying to like throw healing power and blessing at people. Like I've never healed anybody. I'll just tell you that. I have never healed anybody. I would love to, but it hasn't happened. You know, Um, there was one time where my wife was sick. (laughs) Her back was messed up and I was at this crazy like prayer service. It was at Evan Wickham's church and this guy got up and he's like, I just want to encourage you guys. Like if, if you want, to like see the Lord heal somebody just pray for them right now and so my wife was having really bad back problems and I laid my hand on her and I had my eyes closed and I was like Lord just heal her just bless her like I was praying for her for like a half an hour she's like Lord heal my wife and my wife turns to me and she's like hey babe and I'm thinking yeah she's gonna tell me she's healed and then she's like hey can you take your hand off my back that's really making it worse and I was like oh I'm a failure (laughs) but there was a guy who came to church here and um 
So uh, it was just a normal service. The pastor got up, gave a message. He gave an altar call. He said, if you want to get saved, if you want to know Jesus, come down the aisle. So this guy walks down the aisle. He's a blind man. Um, he... He's, he's not coming for healing. He's not asking for healing. He's just coming to meet Jesus. He's not saved. He comes to give his life to Jesus, gives his life to Jesus, immediately goes to Pastor Dave Hummel and says, Dave, I can see. It was just this amazing thing where he wasn't even asking for healing. Um, and this is a guy that uh, used to come around here and clean the walls and stuff. And I know that he was blind because I saw him bumping into walls and things like that. He used to come with his girlfriend. They were like an older couple. And it was just incredible because it was this guy where it was like, what on earth? This guy's like legally blind and now he can actually see things. Um, I had a situation once where when I was in 10th grade um, or I think freshman year, I struggled for an entire year with gnarly migraines, just heavy, heavy migraines where literally I couldn't even think straight. It felt like basically somebody was um, pushing on my head, just like the palm of their hand, just constantly pushing on my face and head, just pressure. And I went to doctors for a year about it. Um, I got brain scans and CAT scans. They, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me, and no one could figure it out, and I just, I felt hopeless. And one night, I went to my high school pastor. I had four different high school pastors. I had, I had a different high school pastor each year. So I didn't even really get to know any of them that well. I wasn't, like, super good friends with this guy. His name was Brian Mead. He was a cool pastor, but I didn't really, I wasn't, like, super close to him or anything. But one night, I was just like, hey, Brian, I've got these migraines. Can you pray for me? And he was like, oh, yeah. Like, he was like a surfer guy. He was just like, yeah, dude, sure. Like, come here. And he put his hand on me, and he's like, oh, Lord, you know, just pray you to heal Aaron. Just bless him. I don't think that, like, Brian was, like, some crazy healer guy. Like, he didn't have like the power of healing, um, but he just asked the Lord to heal me. You know what? My migraines went away that night and never came back. It was the craziest thing. It was amazing to me because the Lord showed me in that moment that sometimes miraculous things happen in the most simple way. Sometimes we think we have to go to a certain church where it's like, oh, that's a healing church. Like they've got the power of healing over there. You know what? God can heal anytime he wants to in any way. It can be a big dramatic way. It can be a simple way but God is the one who does it. You can go to the next slide, slide Tyler, because I just want to point this out really quick. The point of miracles is to point people to Jesus. You need to understand that. Miracles should never point us to a man or a woman and make us go, oh, they're special. Oh, they've got the power. No, healing is always done to point people to Jesus Christ and his power. Now, it says in the, in the passage here that the church had a reputation. The multitude gathered from the surrounding cities bringing sick people. These guys had a reputation that if they came to this church, that this church was a place where change happened, where lives were touched, where people were transformed, and people were healed. They didn't have a building. They didn't have a sound system. And I just want to relate that really quick. Is that how you feel about this group? Especially today, this is a great day to talk about this because this is a day where we are just a tiny little group of people in a room. And there's, there's like half the people here who are normally, normally here. My question for you is, do you rate the success or failure of this group on numbers, on how many people are here, on how loud the band is, on how funny the message is? Is that how you think of church? Is church something where it serves us, where we come to be entertained? Or is this a place where we come because we know that God is gonna change our hearts? Not because of anything I'm doing up here or anything Scotty's doing over there, but because what the Holy Spirit is doing through all of us. While we listen, while we speak, while we talk in small groups, while we worship, is this a place where we feel 
feel that God is moving and changing. Now, the, uh, let's go to verse 17. We'll continue in the passage. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation. That means jealousy. These guys were so jealous of the disciples. These Sadducees were wildly unpopular. They were even more unpopular than the Pharisees, and we all know how unpopular they were. They looked at the disciples, and they're like, oh, the people respect them. They're into this new Jesus thing. Like, we've got to stop these guys because they are more popular than us. And so verse 18, it says, they laid their hands on the apostles. They seized them, and they put them in the common prison. These religious leaders, they obsessed over their popularity, but what we need to realize, guys, is the power of Christianity is not found in religion, but it's found in relationship. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were obsessed with their rules and their regulations and about keeping Judaism. They didn't even realize that Christianity was not a new religion. Christianity was a whole new way of experiencing God and what it means to be human. Look at verse 19. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. My next point is God will not let his mission fail. You can go to the next slide. God will not let his mission fail. Guys, Christianity is an unstoppable mission. God will break down any walls possible to reach people with the gospel. We've got the disciples, they're preaching, again they get arrested, they get thrown in prison, and like right away, before they can even get to know the rats in their cell, the angel shows up, breaks open the door, and says, come on out, go and preach, do what you're called to do. Guys, this makes me excited. This makes me really excited, because as Christians, I mean, we will face persecution. And please, let me just say this really quick. You live in America, you have the freedom to preach the gospel. You have the freedom to speak out for Jesus. There is no threat to you as far as the government coming and arresting you. And I sometimes older people in the church like make a big deal whenever like uh, you know Democrats like president or something like that. They're like, oh, they're gonna come and throw all the Christians in jail. It's not gonna happen in our country anytime soon. Let me just tell you that. Like, it's not gonna happen anytime soon. We live in a democracy. Christianity, it's, it's alive and well in America. And so for us, we should stop complaining about persecution and we should realize that there's people in other countries who are actually being persecuted and we should go and spread the gospel. Now, there will be persecution in the sense of a smaller scale persecution, which means socially, right? At school, you try to stand up for Jesus and people mock you or they make fun of you. It happens. It's happened to me. Even at a Christian school, I got mocked for trying to spread Jesus to other Christians, to try to encourage other Christians. So I totally get that. There is that form of persecution. And right now in the church, we see persecution heating up. They just keep getting thrown in jail just for speaking out. Here's a challenge for you guys today. Would you stand up for Jesus if you were threatened? Now, I'm not talking about like socially, like if you know, some girl named Becky comes up to you and she's like, listen, if you talk about Jesus in geography again, I am going to make sure you are the most unpopular girl in this school. I will take you, to like that's not what I'm talking about. Let's say the police showed up 
to your school. Like, let's just say the president like totally goes off the deep end. He's like, changed my mind. Don't like Christians anymore. It's tremendous. Let's say that happens, okay? Um, and the police show up, and they're like, hey, listen, we are going to throw, like, high school students, if any of you guys talk about Jesus at your school, we're going to throw you straight in jail if you preach Jesus. Here's my question for you. If that happened at your school, would anything change in your life? If that happened, would anything change? Would you be like, oh my gosh, my life is harder now because I talk about Jesus all the time at my school and now I can't? Or would you be like, well, it's not really a threat to me because I never talk about Jesus. Think about it. Would your life change one bit if there was a threat to go to jail if you had to talk about Jesus at your school? I love what Josh Wyatt says. He says, if we are not preaching Christ, we are not functioning as the church. Listen, if you here in your life are not in any way in your life preaching Christ, okay? There's so many ways to preach Christ. You can preach Christ with your voice. You can preach Christ in your family. You can preach Christ on social media. There are so many ways. But if you are not preaching Christ in your life in any way, you are not functioning as a member of the church. Like you're a Christian and you're saved and that's great but you're not functioning as a follower of Jesus 100%. We must be speaking about Jesus. And why don't we speak if our mission is unstoppable? Like, think about it. If, if you are a part of a sports team, how many of you guys are on sports teams? <laughs> sports teams. How many of you guys have ever in your life, I'm not saying now, but how many times in your life, how many of you guys in your life have ever struggled with like, feeling fear about whether or not you were going to win a game. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. I have. I saw one of you guys kind of like, like, I have never feared, ever. Um, good for you. You're special in that way and talented, and I wish you were on my team if I played sports. Anyway, um, how many of you guys would be stoked, though, if somebody showed up with, like, a crazy crystal ball and they could show you the future, and the future was like, no matter what you do, you will win? Like, how stoked would you be? I would be so confident. I struggled so much with sports growing up. Like, I was the guy who, um, people hated me, actually. Like, athletes hated me because I, like, you know, we're, like, playing kickball in, like, the sixth grade, and, like, all the guys were like, we gotta win kickball. It's so important. And I was just like, you know, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose as long as you, like, play hard and just, you know, have fun. The reason I said that was not because I actually believed it. The reason I said it was because I was insecure about my abilities, and I thought, if I try and fail and, and let down the team, I won't be able to handle it. So I was always the guy who was picked last because people knew I wasn't going to put in the effort because I was afraid. I, I, I was like, put me on the bench. I don't want anyone to count on me. That's why I didn't go out on the team. Now, in the same way with Christianity, how many of us realize on a daily basis how much we're a sinner, how much we fail, how much we don't measure up to other Christians we look at and say, I'll never be as spiritual as her, I'll never be as holy as him. And so we don't go out and try for the Lord. We don't go out and live for the Lord because we think someone else will do it and I'm just gonna go to church because that's my comfort zone and I like hearing a message from me and it makes me feel good, right? But if you knew that you would win that sports game, if someone showed up and showed you the future and was like, no matter what you do, heck, you can shoot the ball towards the other team's basket and you will still be victorious, like how much more confidently would you play? I'd be, I'd be out there trying my best. If I knew, if I saw the future and knew that no matter what I did, I would win and be victorious, I would go out there and do my best with confidence. Guys, the story has already been written. The devil, has, he is defeated, that <laughs> we are victorious, 
Jesus saves people, he rescues people. The question is not, like so many of you guys right now are struggling with sins and you're like, will I ever be free of this sin? Will I ever, like I tried to repent and I can't, I keep coming back. Listen, the story has already been written and you will be victorious over that sin. When Jesus comes back and restores all things, you will be perfected. As you follow Jesus on this earth, you will continue to become more like him. You will overcome everything you struggle with because Jesus already says you have. And as a Christian, the Christian life is really all about becoming who we already are in Christ. That's my encouragement for you guys today. Fight knowing that you've already won. The question is not, will you win? The question is, will you be a part of the victory? Will you be involved? Or will you just sit on the sidelines and let other people do the work? And this is not like a legalistic message thing. This is not me saying like, you guys need to pull your weight. You got to get in there and just be good Christians and save people. No, listen, I'm saying this because I don't want you to miss out. I'm saying this because there's, if I could go back and talk to ninth grade Aaron Salvato, I'd be like, dude, you can still watch cartoons, you can still play video games, you can still like geek out and stay in your room and like make movies, but please just like do a little bit more for the Lord. Not because you're trying to earn his favor, but because you already have it. We're not trying to earn salvation. The, you can't earn brownie points with God. You can't get higher up on his list for doing good works. That's not how it works. We've already won. And so the reality is we're called to live into that victory and we're called to serve the Lord, not because we, not because like he's like, you owe me, you've got to make up my, like, no, we serve the Lord because we love him. And guys, serving the Lord brings so much joy. I wish I would have known that when I was your guys' age. That serving the Lord, it wasn't just like, I've got to do this to make my youth pastor happy. I don't know what you guys do on a regular basis. Like, if, if, please don't do anything for me because if you wash the dishes for your mom, there's no way I'm going to find out about that. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, I have no idea. Uh, unless you tell me, and if you do, I'm going to be like, cool, <laughs> good for you, buddy, gold star. Like, no, listen, we don't do these things to get gold stars. We don't do these things to win the approval of man. We serve. We do the hard things when nobody's looking, when there's no chance of anyone getting giving us a pat on the back. We do these things out of the love we have for Jesus. And in response, he doesn't like just absorb our energy and our talents and say, I'm going to take from you. No, every time we give something to God, he gives back. He gives joy. He gives peace. He gives assurance that we're doing the right thing. Merry Christmas, by the way. Like, <laughs> this is great, right? It's like Christmas message. You know, I'm like, tidings of comfort and joy. Let me just comfort you. No, sorry, the text today is like super gnarly. So I'm super gnarly today. But you know what? It's all good because it's in there. And it's a message I think God has for not just you, but for me too. I'm like, I'm, I'm preaching this. And as I'm preaching this, I'm like, oh, my heart. This is good. So let's get even more gnarly with like an old quote from an old dead guy who's like way more intense than we'll ever be. Throw up this. Uh, this is Joseph Parker. Um, his amazing hair, right? Just good-looking guy. He's dead. He's bones now. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to read this quote. This is so good. I, I got this in a commentary my dad gave me on the book of Acts. He says, was this kind of faith something quite dead and gone forever? Would any man imagine from the controversies which now agitate the church within its own boundaries that the church of today is the legitimate descendant of the church of whose history these verses form a part? And here's what he's touching on. He's like, this is, this is written probably like 100 years ago. Even back then, he was like, oh my gosh, the 
the Christians in the Bible were way more hardcore than us. This is 100 years ago. And he's like, man, like we need to recapture some of that passion. And I see this today because in modern times, like we get all flustered as Christians. Um, I don't know if you guys get flustered, but I've seen some of your parents on social media get flustered. You know, it's Christmas time. A couple years ago during Christmas, it was all about the Starbucks cup. It was like, oh my gosh, the Starbucks cup doesn't say Merry Christmas. Christians are persecuted. The devil is attacking us because this cup, it's just red. Oh my, red is the color of Santa and Satan. This is bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, we get, we get, that's the church looking inward and not outward. That's the church looking at what it calls problems on the inside instead of looking around at the world and saying, there's people out there dying. There's people out there who need Jesus. There's people out there who need encouragement, who need healing. We need to get, we need to, you know, throw the Starbucks cup out of the way and get in there and reach people for the gospel. He goes on to say, uh, you go to the next slide. Joseph Parker says this, it requires the greatest effort not of faith, but of imagination to trace any connection between the church of today as we represent it, and even as we know it, and the church of the heroic days. What is your ancestry? Why, if you knew it, you are children of the storm. I love that. Guys, you just if you haven't heard anything today, just capture that thought in your mind. You are children of the storm. The stuff that was going on in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it is a violent, crazy powerful storm of good versus evil and the church i mean think about it like jesus this amazing teacher like just powerful passionate going around healing people changing people's lives he gets nailed to a cross crucified bloody and beaten he's dead for three days busts out of the tomb and and the church is like we're unstoppable our leader just busted out of a tomb the spirit enters flames appear over people's head they're speaking in tongues thousands of people getting saved like this is a crazy storm they're getting thrown in prison they bust out with angels and like this is our history this is our ancestry this is where we came from you can go to the next slide he says this it does not become you as a Christian to talk about quietness and enjoyment and absence of sensationalism. You are the children of the tempest. That means storm. You are rocked in the cradle of the deep. You have lost the accent of your family. Man can't tell whence we came. They can't indicate our native country. We speak the usual language and the usual tone, and we are afraid of anything that is eccentric and unusual, and thus we have abandoned all that can make our ancestry worthy of recollection. We cannot get away from the fact that we represent a faith that has been the most fighting faith of the earth. Christianity is in a combative religion. I'm just going to break this down. He, he's saying you've lost the accent of your family. What he means by this, maybe this is some of you guys here today. He's saying, you know, when you have a family that's gone through the years and, and you know, you've got Italians who immigrated from Italy to America, that's my family. Do I speak with an Italian accent? No, I've lost the accent of my history. I've lost it. I don't speak like my great, great, great grandparents do. And in the same way as Christians, have we lost that accent? Do we speak like the Christians of old? Is our mindset, is the way that we talk and think saturated with the gospel? Or when we talk, do we just sound like everybody else? He says, 
people can't tell where we came from. They can't indicate our native country because we speak the usual language. Are you here today? And when you speak, you just sound like everybody else. You just blend in. Or can people tell that your life is saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ? He says this, we are afraid of anything that is eccentric and unusual. I I feel that in my own life because I want my life to fit into a neat, polite little box. Sometimes when I see somebody in need, you know, I'm just being honest with you guys. Please don't think I'm some amazing Christian because I tell you stories about how I went and helped a homeless person or how I preached the gospel to somebody because I'll tell you straight up, there's times where I'm out and I see a homeless person and I think I could help them right now, but I'm like, I've got better things to do. Or I think, you know, I'm, I'm off the clock. I'm not working for the church right now. I need to focus on me. I'm exercising. I'm burning calories. If I stop to help this guy, it's going to take 20 minutes off. Like I do that kind of thing because I'm just like you and I get selfish. Absolutely. Guys, we need to embrace the eccentric. That means the unusual, the strange. God is calling you guys into strange situations, things in your school, things in your home, things in your neighborhood, in your community, where he's gonna call you to something and you're gonna think, God, that's really weird. I don't know if I can do that. And God's like, yes, that's exactly how I want you to feel. Now go do it and trust me. He says this, we have abandoned all that makes our ancestry worthy of recollection. A recollection that's so deep and it's so convicting. It's like we, we often have abandoned the things about Christianity that make anyone look at us and go, wow, there's something special about you guys. And then he says this at the end, we have been one of the most fighting faiths of the earth. Christianity is a combative religion. Please understand, that does not, there's so many people right now who are so backwards and messed up on this. There's so many people who they play this victim complex with Christianity where anytime, you know, something happens where it's like, oh my gosh, they took the 10 commandments out of the school or whatever. Like people freak out and they're like, oh, we got to fight the system. We got to go. And like, like they, they, we are not called to fight people as Christians. You need to understand this. We are not called to look at people and say, they're the enemy, they're the problem. We need to just change everything so that everyone does what we want. We need to change the the world and our country into like this nice little Christian environment where everything goes our way. No, listen, when when he's talking about how Christianity is a combative religion, he's not talking about us fighting sinners. He's not talking about us like looking at people who are lost and saying, they're the enemy, we gotta go after them. No, we fight. Paul says this, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the powers of darkness. Here's what it means. Here's what we fight. When you see somebody who's unsaved, when you see somebody who is sinning, you don't think, oh, they're terrible. Like, we got to get them out of here. No, your heart breaks and you say, they're being oppressed by Satan. This person in my school who's cutting themselves, this person in my school who's depressed, this person in my school who (coughs) is coughing, (laughs) this person in my school who is hopeless and hurt, they are being attacked by Satan. And God is calling me into this battle to fight against darkness on their behalf. Even if there's somebody in your school who hates you. Let's say there's somebody at your school who just hates the fact that you're a Christian. Let's say there's someone at your school who spreads rumors about you. Someone at your school who looks at you and they're they're like, you're just trash. Like, get your religion out of here. They're not the enemy. They're a victim of the enemy. And you need to do what Jesus says, which is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because your goal is not to get that person expelled so that you have more opportunity to like do ministry on the campus. No, your your responsibility as a Christian is try to to win that person to the gospel. So now, now, now a life has been changed. And the gospel can spread even stronger because nothing is more powerful than a life that's been changed by the gospel. Are you with me? Sweet. So last page of notes here, 10 more minutes. Let's see if we can get through it. Here's the question. 
What if it's hard? What if it's hard? That's what some of you guys might be thinking right now. Like, this sounds great. Super, you know, optimistic, Aaron, what you're throwing out. It's super ambitious. This idea of just being on fire for the Lord and like living up to our ancestors and the church and just like going out. But what if it's hard? You know what? It will be. Remember that scene with Yoda um, when, uh, you know, um, Yoda asks Luke, he's like, are you afraid? And Luke's like, no, I'm not afraid. And Yoda's like, you will be. You will be, Daniel. That's what he says, okay? Here's what I'm saying to you. What if it's hard? It will be. Absolutely. It will be hard to follow Jesus. And again, we're not getting our heads chopped off by ISIS, okay? And I doubt that's happening for a very long time. You, we live in this, like, we think of life, like, how long have you guys been alive? Like, 14, 15, 16 years, you live in this bubble of history that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. You guys, we, I, not just you, me, I'm an older millennial, just like you, okay? We live in this bubble, this safe, secure bubble of history where our focus is, where am I going to college? Where can I make more money? How can life be good for me? How can I make sure that all of my food has no GMOs or any, like just like we, li- we live in this very safe and secure little bubble where our focus is on ourselves. But you know what? This bubble, this tiny little protective bubble of history is such an opportunity for you to share the gospel. Because again, you're not being hunted down by the state police. You're not being thrown to the lions. You, the doors are wide open for you to share the gospel. Like more so than probably any country on earth, you have more opportunity and more freedom to share the gospel. I'm just throwing that out there. Like we have, we're so blessed. So here's the thing. Hard times will come. Like I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, okay? The minute you start living for Jesus up to your full potential, the minute that you say, um, and I don't always do this, but there's been times in my life where I go to the Lord and I say, God, here I am, send me, do whatever you want with my life, and God says, okay, you asked for it. Here's the thing. If you are willing to sacrifice the things in your life right now, and listen, please, like, please understand, I'm not saying, you know, if there's something really good in your life, you have to just give it up. Like, let's say you're amazing at a sport. Like, I'm not saying God is saying to you, quit that sport. Like, if you have an amazing house, I'm not saying that God's saying to you, go be homeless. If you have a lot of money, I'm not saying that God's saying to you, go give all your money to Aaron so he can buy a PlayStation 4. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I mean, if you want to, that's great. Um, What I'm saying is, all these things in our life, there's probably, listen, please, there's probably things, all of you guys right now in your life, you're holding like this. You're just, you know, you don't even think that you are. You don't even realize that you are, but there's things in your life that you're holding like this, saying, you know, there's other things where you're like, God, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, but there's like, there, there's probably one thing in your life that you're, you're just like, that thing, oh my gosh, I could never give that up. Like, and I'm not saying that God is asking you to, but what I am saying is God is telling you to loosen your grip and hold your hand like this and say, God, if you want to do anything different with this, this college plan, this life plan, this you know, I'm gonna be married and have six kids and this is my wedding dress I've picked out and it's gonna happen in the next two years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you your plans, okay, your life. Are you holding your life like this and saying, God, whatever you have, do it. Here's the thing, if you do that, if you take your hand and you open it up and you say, God, use me, whatever it takes, I will tell you, you are gonna get a target on your back. 
the enemy is going to look at you and say, oh, whoa, that guy just went from Christian on the couch to Christian on the mission field. That girl just went from, you know, girl who goes to church once a week to like girl who is like on mission living for the Lord. (coughs) If you become that Christian, if you loosen your grip and say, God, do whatever you want with me, the enemy will attack and there's gonna be trials in your life. There's gonna be things popping up where you're like, where did that come from? Why is there so much drama in my life? Why is this happening? Why am I sick? Why am I being attacked? Like, why is there just, there's gonna be challenges. But I love what C.S. Lewis says, okay? You can throw up the next quote. He says this, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And I love that. Guys, God is taking you someplace. Every single one of you. I don't care how Christian you are or aren't today. God has a plan for you, and he wants to take you somewhere. He wants to take you on a journey. He has so many things for your life. My hope for you guys is I want every single one of you guys in this room, my hope is that you will go and do bigger and better things for Jesus than I've ever done. That's that's my heart for every single one of you, absolutely. Hardships, God will use them in our life to prepare us for what he has. Here's my last point. My last point is, the mission is unstoppable, so join it. Guys, we're guaranteed to succeed. The mission that we have is unstoppable. What did the angels say in verse 19 and 20? He says, I busted you out of jail, now go to the temple and take your stand. What does that look like for you guys in 2017? What does it look like for you guys to take your stand for Jesus? He says this, the angel says to the disciples, go and preach all of the words of life. And that brings me back to a thing that Peter said to Jesus. Peter was like, um, you know, this one time Jesus was like, um, you know, hey, disciples, are you guys gonna abandon me? And Peter's like, we would never leave you, Jesus, because you speak all the words of life. Is that how you think about Jesus's words? Are they the words of life to you? I'm gonna tell one more story and be done. Recently, I saw The Last Jedi. And you guys see The Last Jedi? I've never loved and hated something so much at the same time. It was just like, it was amazing. Like if if, uh, Force Awakens was comfort food, this was like an exotic dish where you're like, I like that, but I don't like that. And like, it was just, it was bizarre and awesome all at the same time. Here's the thing, though, okay? If you're not, even if you're not a Star Wars fan, just bear with me. So the movie starts. I'm with Trevor Clark and James Frizee. We're sitting in the theater. And the trailers come on, right? And there's music playing, and it's really dramatic. There's this girl. She's in, like, a jail cell. The music is, like, the camera's zooming in on her. And she starts moving her lips, but no words come out. And I'm like... I'm like, this is an interesting movie. Like, yeah, what's going on here? Like, is, is, is this like about a deaf person? Like, what's going on? And it gets all the way through the trailer and like people are moving their lips, but no words are coming out. And I'm like, what's going on? So then the trailers keep going and we're just like, what's going on? And then Star Wars starts happening and it's like, and it like, it's doing the thing. And then like there's space battles going on and people are moving their lips and like, no, there's no sound. And I'm like, no, like I've been waiting two years for this. So I run and I go get a manager. And I'm like, listen, Star Wars, there's no words, just music. And the guy's like, uh, I got to go talk to a manager. I'm like, fix it. Come on. And then 
like me and like a bunch of other fans were like freaking out. I found out this happened in other theaters. It was like for some reason on opening day of Star Wars, it's like people couldn't get their act together. So they fix it and they had to rewind it all the way back to the trailer and like play it all over again. And I'll say this too, when the first trailer came on, there was still music and no words. So then me and a bunch of other people got up and ran and got the manager again. And finally they got it back on and it was so frustrating. And here's the thing, Star Wars, the music in Star Wars is beautiful, right? I mean, John Williams is amazing. He, he's written so many scores from like Home Alone to Star Wars to Indiana Jones, okay? The music is great. But without the words, you miss the story. You miss important details. It's frustrating to only get half of the picture. And as Christians, if you live your life and you love people and you bless people and you obey your parents, but you never open up your mouth and speak the gospel, listen, the music that you're making with your life is beautiful, but without the words, we're missing the story. And our faith is all about the story. That's why we have this book called the Bible that's all about the story. Become people of the story. Become people of the scripture. Become people where the story of Jesus is so grafted into your heart. It's so a part of you. You look at Jesus's story and you say, that story is my story. And when you speak to people, you can't help but somehow incorporate that story. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Your name is so beautiful, and we know that the power comes from your name, from the fear of you, God, not from the terror of you, but from the belief that you are who you say you are. Jesus, we believe you are who you say you are. We believe you're the king. We believe you're the son of God. We believe that this story is a love story written about how much you love us. Help us to find our part in the story. Lord, I just sense that there's some people here who feel intimidated by what I've shared today. And they feel like, man, I could never live up to that. God, help them to know that I don't live up to that. No one lives up to that perfectly. You did. We can't. But through you, working in and through our lives, we can. And it's a daily decision to live for you or to live for ourselves. Every day we wake up, Jesus, we say, am I going to live for you or live for me? God, help us today to choose to live for you. I pray this Christmas season, God... Just as a young person, I know my tendency to be selfish. Uh, family holidays, sometimes I can get on my phone and be distracted and not engage with grandma or grandpa and show people love and, and give people my attention. God, I pray for all of us that you would help us this, this holiday season to love the people around us, to wash dishes so that mom doesn't have to because she's been working so hard on the, the Christmas dinner, to look for this week, people in our life that we can love and bless and not be so focused on what am I getting and presence and all that. God, help us to be filled with your presence in our heart. Help us to reach people. God, give us opportunities to speak and to share. God, I pray that your story would become our story. Help us, Lord, to walk with you so closely that it's second nature to us to share what you're doing in our life. Help us not to hold those things back, but help us to share those things freely and openly because you shared with us freely and openly your story so that our story could become a part of the great story that you're telling. We love you, Jesus, and we're so thankful. Please bless us today in your name. And everyone said, amen.